the gardeners in America, I'm not talking about farmers now, I'm talking about backyard and community gardeners, grow enough excess food every year to feed 28 million Americans. That's more than 11 billion pounds with a B of excess food. The data, by the way, also says that half of those gardeners would actually deliberately grow more once they know they can donate the food. So ampleharvest.org has the potential to unleash a staggeringly huge amount of food to families that have at least access to it. Meet Gary Oppenheimer. He's the founder of ampleharvest.org and he most certainly is a food warrior. This is Food Warriors the podcast that's transforming how we think about food. One food warrior at a time. With your host, the foodie alchemist. Hey, hey, Food Warriors. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're with Gary Oppenheimer of AmpleHarvest.org, an organization that helps 42 million home and community gardeners help end food waste and hunger by educating them and enabling them to donate their excess garden produce to a nearby food pantry. Today, they're connected to over 8,000 food pantries across America. Ampleharvest.org was founded in 2009, so really one of the earliest food waste recovery efforts that got underway, and also one of the early pioneers of using technology as an intermediate that would connect people who had a surplus of food to those who needed food. The organization was launched after three volunteers assembled the website, and the total time from inspiration to national rollout was seven weeks. So food entrepreneurs, this is a really engaging and inspiring one for you. And for those of us who just want to know how to be more effective givers and donators of our time and resources, this is a show you really want to stay tuned to. So thanks so much for tuning in. And now let's go meet Gary Oppenheimer. I should say that the Ample Harvest.org story sort of starts with my early childhood because I was inculcated with the idea of not, you know, finish what's on your plate, kids, and start bringing Europe. So the idea of not wasting food started, frankly, from my parents and grandparents back in the early 50s when I'm born. Fast forward a lot. My wife and I bought a house in the rural part of northern New Jersey. A large property. I started doing gardening, and I eventually became a master gardener. I was growing an abundance of food in my own garden. And there was a point at which my wife said, stop bringing this in the house. We have no room for any more of this. Since I wasn't working in an office or anything like that, I didn't want it to go to waste. So I contacted a woman who ran a battered woman's shelter in my own town and said, can your shelter use this? And she said, absolutely. So I took a bag or two to the shelter, a woman answers the door, gratefully accepts it, and as I'm walking, this is by the way, uh, 1997, I believe. As I walk away, she says, thank you, now we can have some fresh food, which was an, uh, struck me as an odd thing to hear. The following year, summer of, summer of 97, I go back to the same place, same woman answers the door, literally the same comment, you know, thank you, now we can have some fresh food. Both times, I walked away thinking, this is odd, like they only get canned food. Around that time, the folks who were running the community garden in West Milford, New Jersey, 
had asked me to take over the community garden as director. But I said, okay, fine. So I went in and I had this meeting at the barn at the garden. This was in the autumn before I was going to start taking over the community garden. I just met with the people to speak to them, to learn about it. And there's one woman who's a school teacher in my town had made a comment to me that she was upset that as the growing season went on, food was being left to rot in the garden. People were getting bored, going, getting overwhelmed, going on vacation, and that really bothered her. Responded with, if we're going to have an ample harvest, the least we could do is get it to people who really need it. To my recollection, I have never before spoken or read the word ample harvest. I have no idea where that came from. People loved the idea. We set about to set up a mechanism for redistributing the excess food in the garden to the food pantries in my town. But when I went on to Google to find him, Google said the nearest food pantry to me was in Morristown, New Jersey, 25 miles away. And something started brewing in my mind, and I realized that if I, one of the really early geeks in the internet world, was having difficulty online finding a food pantry, maybe other people are having that problem too. So this is fast forwarded now to uh, March of the following year. As I woke up one morning with this idea that it shouldn't be this difficult to find a food pantry. So I sat down at my computer and I like to think in PowerPoint. Some people like to scratch paper. I will write stuff in PowerPoint, sort of develop an outline on there. In a four hour session on PowerPoint, I went from an idea to essentially designing what is today ampleharvest.org. It all came together in one four-hour setting. I still have that presentation, and I look back at it at times, and I am actually seeing there are moments when either sheer genius or sheer randomness of thought or whatever, the universe all comes together, but that happened to be a spark where it all came together. I looked at it, and I said, this is something that not only can be done, but should be done. And what it was that Gary had managed to do in those four hours of inspired madness was to identify two pain points that nobody as of yet had been able to alleviate. It had clearly tapped into something. What I ultimately come to the realization was that what I had tapped into on the gardener's side was the deep-seated frustration they had had, myself included, with being able to, with seeing their own food wasted. Uh, they put all this love and, and effort into growing food. And when there was too much, they didn't want it to go to waste. And if they couldn't use it and they couldn't preserve it and they couldn't share it with friends, it had to go to waste. They didn't like that. They wanted something better for the food. I also tapped into a food system that thought it couldn't take fresh food. And that's because the architecture of the American food bank system as good as it is from keeping people from getting hungry, uh, doesn't handle fresh food very well. Food takes too long to travel in the system. And I had, in a sense, Uberized that whole process. What I'd come to realize is that I had unleashed the passion of the gardeners and the food itself and rejiggered the architecture of the American Food Bank safety net so that food could travel literally minutes and maybe a few miles and to, from the gardener's uh, backyard to a hungry family's table. That is the heart of ampleharvest.org. And that's always the most exciting part for organizations as they're forming, when they get the aha moment and it all comes together and they form their mission. But Gary is equally emphatic about 
being crystal clear about what the organization does not do. And this is a really important piece for people thinking about a startup. Here's Gary on what ampleharvest.org is not into doing. The goal is not to create an intrusive, obnoxious environment. The goal is to connect two parties that want to and need to be connected and then to get out of the way. And by the way, I should say it's an important part of ampleharvest.org. We're not part of the relationship between the gardener and the pantry. Once the gardener knows that they can donate the food and where, we're no longer needed. Now a new relationship has been built between the person in the community who grew the food and the pantry, helping people who need the food, and you don't need us anymore. So one of the real um, values of Ample Harvest Network is we have zero logistics, which is logistics is one of the things that actually kills food programs. The, the cost of diesel for the trucks, the volunteers, the drivers, you could just be fiscally wiped out. We don't have that. We have the gardeners taking the food themselves in the pantry in the community. But again, these are two parties. The gardeners want to donate the food. The pantries want to receive the food. We simply connect the dots. The one learning lesson, by the way, was that this was not about feeding people. It was about getting people fed. It's an important distinction. We're not a food program, per se. I didn't create Ample Harvest because people were hungry and are not unsympathetic. I created it because food was being wasted. And as I learned over the years, the waste of that food has a huge impact on hunger, nutrition, the environment, community engagement, and even national security. So this, be, this turns out to be a root cause solution to a whole host of problems. My job was to distribute information to people who, who needed it, valued it, and wanted it, and not to be an annoyance. And you are introducing a level of savviness to the equation that doesn't necessitate things like refrigeration and storage. From the pantry's perspective, it's great because they are often saying they don't have refrigeration and, and, and they don't have extra storage. As a matter of fact, when we go to food pantries and tell them to, they really should sign up, we tell them four things. It's free. You don't need refrigeration. You don't need storage. And it's free. We tell them the free part twice because the money challenges for the food pantries and soup kitchens in your community are so so severe that we want to make sure they fully understand this is not costing them a dime at all. Now, what you aren't doing is facilitating a connection between those who give and those who receive. And you don't want any overlap even between the pickup and the drop-off, correct? Yes. You're talking about something that in the industrial world is called just-in-time inventory. When Boeing is building an airplane, they don't want the wings delivered to the factory until the fuselage is built and they're ready to attach the wings. This is the most efficient way of doing things. Bring stuff in just in time when you need it. If a food pantry is giving food away, distributing food on one day a week, maybe Sundays, if I was a gardener and I showed up on Monday with the food, my food now has to sit someplace for a week until the next distribution time. So now either the pantry needs storage and a refrigeration. And meanwhile, my food's getting old. If it's greens with a short shelf life, it's getting wilty. The idea of giving the food pantry the opportunity to tell the gardener a day of the week and a time of the day to come tells the gardener ideally when they should harvest the food. So if the food pantry's giving out food Sunday from noon to 3, 
they can tell the gardeners, please come Sunday nine to noon. Now the gardener now knows they should harvest the food Sunday morning, Saturday night. They take the food in, it's laid out on a table, and a few hours later, hungry families are coming to pick up the food and it's going home with them. They're actually getting food fresher than you and I could buy at a supermarket. There's also that level of sensitivity that you have for the two parties that give the food and the parties that receive the food never coming into contact with one another. Can you talk about why that is so important? This is an ethical component in terms of that when you're giving charity, the uh, recipient should not be in any way humiliated or embarrassed. There's the real possibility that the food pantry client may be a friend or maybe a neighbor down the street that you know. It would be really unfortunate if you walked in with your bounty of food and spread it out and they're coming in a little embarrassed because they've fallen on hard times getting food, and that's not necessary. By you showing up in the morning with your food and leaving it, and by them coming in the afternoon and getting the food, but you two not knowing who each other are, the anonymity, I think, is an important thing to prevent them from feeling humiliated. And it actually, interestingly enough, also provides additional legal protection. Under federal law, if I, uh, this was the Emerson Food Safety Act President Clinton signed in 95. If I give food to a nonprofit, a food pantry, it's a good Samaritan law, I'm protected and I can't be, there's no liability unless there's gross negligence. But if I give food not to a nonprofit, but to an, somebody else, maybe individual, if they get a bellyache, they can sue me. So if I knew my neighbor was hungry and I gave my neighbor that food, in theory, my neighbor could sue me. But if it goes to the food pantry first, I can't get sued. Now, this is not to tell people don't share food with your friends. I know I want to suggest that. But there are a growing number of food sharing programs out there where, you know, leave food on a street corner for someone else to pick up. I'm, I'm against that idea on a whole host of reasons, one of which is there's no indemnification for the donor or the food. The ampleharvest.org model takes full advantage of what President Clinton put into effect. It protects uh, the, the food donor. The last thing you want is a gardener bringing in food, somebody suing the gardener, winning a gazillion dollars, and every other gardener in America saying, no way, I don't want to have that risk, and the food just is left to rot. So you want to keep a mechanism in place that protects both the gardener from being sued and protects the model from ultimately falling apart because of fear. Ah, I'm so happy to hear that point being reiterated on this show as well. The wonderful and encompassing Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act, protecting organizations that donate food from liability in the event of somebody consuming that food and then becoming ill as a result. Important to note that the Bill Samaritan Act has never been tested because nobody's actually ever been sued. All right, so let's get out of this culture of fear and Let's create a culture that is supporting our businesses and demanding from our businesses that they donate excess food. Because the culture of gardeners really seem to have it together. You have identified a group of people who's not only amenable to donating their excess food, but they have a whole lot of it. And let me give you a number, by the way, because we just completed a two-year study uh, with 2,500 gardeners. And uh, the bottom line numbers is that the gardeners in America, I'm not talking about farmers, no, I'm talking about backyard and community gardeners, grow enough excess food every year to feed 28 million Americans. That's more than 11 billion pounds with a B of excess food. 
The data, by the way, also says that half of those gardeners would actually deliberately grow more once they know they can donate the food. So ampleharvest.org has the potential to unleash a staggeringly huge amount of food to families that have least access to it. So this is the data that came out of your two-year gardener study. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. We, what happened was in 2015, we've been asked all the time, well, how much food did people get? And we, don't, we can't track the food because people don't report back what they donate. Pantries are really, really bad at recording that stuff themselves. But we decided to ask the gardeners, how much more food did you grow? So in 2015, we asked 660 gardeners across the country, how much more food did you grow in 2014 than you could actually use? We gave that data to this economist gentleman at Cisco, and he came back with numbers that were so big, I didn't believe it. They were staggering numbers. We did the survey in 2016, this time with adult supervision. This time he was looking over our shoulders as we did it. And we asked another 1,900 gardeners the same question. So between the two years, 2,500 gardeners. And the 2016 data validated the 2015 data. The amount of food available in gardens to donate is huge. 80% of the gardeners, given the opportunity, want to donate the food. We just have to give them that opportunity. And in terms of the technological pieces and frameworks that ampleharvest.org brings to the table, where do you see the potential for social media to play a role in this sort of outreach and encouraging others to get involved and to share and get excited about donating their excess produce? Look, bottom line is this. I think that most every gardener knows that donating the food from their garden to hungry families is the low-hanging fruit in terms of solving a whole host of problems in this country. And software and the social media tools that can allow you to share that is phenomenal. That's a plus. The bottom line is this is coming out of the deep-seated feeling in uh, people's hearts. The food they they grow, the, the love they've put into the food can turn into love they have for their neighbors in need. That's what makes this really work. We're not making gardeners do anything. We're enabling them to do what they want to do. Yeah, I guess it probably gets a little tricky because it starts to play in on the anonymity piece a little bit once it starts really being widely shared on social media. Okay, well, fair enough. But while we're on the subject of talking about this analysis done by Cisco Systems, you have some earlier data from 2012 that's pretty exciting to share as far as aggregating not only the financial impact in terms of the value of the food donated, but also the health impact that that food has made on the public health front. The efficacy of the program is is huge. An economist from Cisco Systems analyzed our 2012 data and in a report concluded that when that that year we were still young, 20 million dollars worth of food had been donated, but also 177 million dollars of health impact on the nation from that fresh food. This when our budget was 660 thousand dollars. So 660 in and about $197 million impact coming out. That's an ROI I don't think any other nonprofit can come close to. So you'll be happy to hear that over the years, Gary has continued to connect dots and curate relationships with the goal of reducing food waste, and in so doing, addressing the problems of hunger and food security in areas where it had not been thought about before. For all the meetings and all the conferences and all the events I've been to, the one group of people that I wasn't seeing there was the faith community. 
There was government, nonprofits, foundations, but nobody from the faith. And 70% of food pantries are in a house of worship. It dawned on me that we had an amazing opportunity ahead of us. If we could reach out to the clergy of America, educate them about food waste, and invite them, incent them to speak to their congregants about food waste, this would be an amazing way to spread awareness of food waste and solutions, especially including ampleharvest.org, about food waste. I reached out to a partner organization called Green Faith, somebody we've worked with for a long time. It's an interfaith organization. They deal in environmental things, and they love the idea. And we have put together this program, Food Waste Weekend. The idea was that we would create a non-sectarian sermon. Green Faith and their faith teams translated it, if you will, into Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and Unitarian. The same sermon rewritten from the Torah's perspective, the Quran's perspective, the New Testament's perspective, and going on. We're basically, the, the idea behind Food Waste Weekend is the clergy are the ones who sign up. We give them all the tools they need to learn about food waste the talks by Tristan Stewart and the book by Jonathan Bloom and my TEDx talk and the uh, refed report on the web, all of the things that are out there <clears throat> to bring them up to whatever their comfort level is in terms of awareness of the amount of food lost to waste in America. And then we give them the sermon written in their own faith tradition, which they can again rewrite in their own words. We then also give them eight calls to action. They can pick the two or three that are best fit for their own community, whether it's not shopping without a shopping list, whether it is buying smaller quantities, how, you know, all these different resources and ideas that are out there, obviously including donating food from your garden, the ampleharvest.org solution. And we even have a game show for the religious schools so the kids can learn about food waste and do a game show about it inside. Food Waste Weekend launched in 2016 and has since become an annual event that takes place every September. And the idea is that on Food Waste Weekend, across the faith spectrum, people in the, uh, on the pulpit will be speaking about something that affects definitely people in the pews. Uh, statistically, uh, the number of people sitting in the pews that are going to food pantries, depending upon your numbers, are between one in five and one in seven. Statistically, the children sitting in the pews, statistically, one out of four of those kids under the age of six is going to be living in a food insecure home, except if they're black or Hispanic, and it's one out of three kids under the age of six. Statistically, one out of three kids sitting in those pews is going to be diabetic, and soon to be one out of two. In other words, the need for this information is in the, in the church and in the synagogue and in the mosque. The person delivering the information is a trusted member of the community, the clergy. And this is a way of, again, this is my idea of scaling and leveraging, is taking the clergy of America and engaging them to be the amplifier, the megaphone for the message and the solution and to throw it out there. Once you know there's a problem you didn't know about, and once you know there are solutions to the problem, solutions you can do, you, your family, your community, your country are that much better off. And then whether you're reducing food waste because you're not throwing away food in your garden, or maybe because you're ordering smaller portions at a restaurant, or maybe because you are learning about date labeling on food, whatever the thing is, we reduced the amount of food waste. I mean, Jonathan Bloom put it perfectly when he said that every day in America, we waste enough food to feed the Rose Bowl. 
And it was actually Jonathan Bloom who, in 2009, created the first public exposure for ampleharvest.org. And Jonathan Bloom, of course, went on to write the very pivotal American Wasteland in 2010. So for anybody out there who's trying to build a business or an organization, it is all about cultivating those relationships. Yeah, you don't do something like this by yourself. At least you shouldn't do anything by yourself. You should be finding everybody out there who can contribute something. You should partner like crazy. When you have a passion to solve a problem, identify the problem, identify the solution, be laser narrow focused on it, but don't step outside of that focus. Find other people who do similar things. And when there's something that needs to be addressed that isn't what you do, but what they do, give it to them. Short example, we've been having people continuously say, you should tell gardeners how to grow food. You should tell the food pantry people how to cook the food. My answer is no. We have an entire extension program and countless other programs that teach people how to garden. We have a wonderful program like bread.org that sends chefs around teaching people how to cook. They do an extraordinary job at what they do. If we tried to do that, we would fail and fail at our own mission. We need all of our partners and all of our friends doing what they do so we can do what we do best. And that type of partnership, big and small, goes a long way towards solving the problem. I'm a big believer in the idea that the best thing a nonprofit can do is find a problem, solve it, and go home. But that basically takes a collaborative effort. If you try to do it yourself, you will probably repeat other people's work, you will probably repeat other people's mistakes, and you won't end up with the solution that you want. We're not out to do other people's mistakes. I'm happy to make our own mistakes and learn from them. But we want other people doing their things. We will do our things. And those partnerships are critical towards that end. And so we partner with everybody from the entire food bank network, including Feeding America, to the U.S. government, including the USDA and the White House, members of Congress, to countless other food nonprofits, food waste nonprofits. The list of people I have met that have helped us get where we are, and on occasion I can help them get to where they're going, is what has made this such both a professionally rewarding experience and a personally amazing experience. The best thing you can do when you're, when you're doing something like this is look around at who, you're, who the people you're with are and, and really wonder how did you get to be next to them. So over the years of doing Ample Harvest, Gary has formed many relationships, and all of these relationships and experiences have led to some really important observations that he's made about donating food in general. Yeah, there's an interesting thing in charity. People think that if when there's a food drive, if they have this visceral reaction, if here's a can of, of peas that I bought in the store, I put it in the, in the food drive, tonight I could see the family eating the can of peas and I feel good, and in all reality, you've done good. The problem is that you paid retail in the supermarket for that can of peas. Even if you took it out of your kitchen cabinet, you eventually you originally bought it for retail. Had you instead given the food drive the dollar that you've spent on the can of peas, food pantry rather could have actually purchased 10 times the amount of food. Food pantries are able to buy food at a 90% discount. So if you give a can of peas you're doing good. If you give the dollar instead of the can of beads, you're doing 10 times as much good. The problem is that people, A, feel like if they give money, they're afraid it's going to be misspent, which to me is an odd thing because when Katrina occurred and the Red Cross said, we need help, nobody ran to their closet to mail an old blanket. They sent money. They trusted an organization they were not seeing to properly spend money to help people they're never going to meet. 
but they are more likely not to trust the organization in their own community that's actually helping their neighbors down the street. That's an odd thing that people need to get past. The most efficient way, if you choose to give store-bought food to a food drive, the most efficient thing you can do is write a check or give dollar bills. Don't give the food from your cabinet or from the store. Give the money that you want to give instead. The exception is when it comes to the garden food. That you can, because it's it's free for you for one thing. That is what you should be giving to the food drives or directly to the food pantries. But otherwise, all things being equal, when there's a food drive in your office, your house of worship, or your firehouse, whatever, whatever dollar amount you're comfortable with, dollar bills or checks, that's the most efficient thing you can do for the system. Frankly, the other piece of it is that when you give money, it is spent the way the community needs it. I mean, you may be a nice person giving pork and beans to a food drive, but if it's going to a food pantry serving a Jewish or Muslim community, they really can't use it. Money is by far the best thing for you to do. So there you have it. One way that you can 10x your impact. If you want to give food to the hungry, write a check. Don't go shopping. That is unless, of course, you have a garden and you have some excess produce that you can donate. Truly amazing what the scale of this small little organization has affected. I hope you can become a part of it. And so does Gary. The fact that a scrappy nonprofit called AmpleHarvest.org found enough food to feed 28 million people, and it's not processed food, and it's not food that's shipped from across the country. It's fresh food from down the street. Imagine what other things can be solved. And I actually have some other programs I'd love to build once I get the financial stability for AmpleHarvest.org that uh, it has to have. So I'm not done. There's, I, have, I have a model in my mind for something that will be essentially AmpleHarvest.org on steroids. But first, I got to deal with finding that individual foundation who's really going to pump some the cash in to get us off the plateau and to really let us skyrocket. And we are looking forward to finding out what Gary has up his sleeve next. So, food warriors, as we're closing out the show today, I must emphatically point out the need for funding for ampleharvest.org. Maybe you're like me, and maybe you're a terrible gardener, and the idea of a surplus sounds at once both impossible and completely heavenly. Maybe you don't even have a garden, but would like to be a part of this effort. But first, a refresher on that amazing return on investment you could be a part of. So 660 in, and about $197 million impact coming out. That's an ROI I don't think any other nonprofit can come close to. All right, well, you heard it here. Bust out your checkbooks, peeps. We're getting close to that taxi time of year. If you're looking for a place to throw some money, this is a 501c3 that will not let you down. If you want resources, you want to check out that study, I'm going to let Gary point you in that direction right now. For everybody, the data itself, the study we did is available at ampleharvest.org study. It's also on our homepage. There includes graphics, a white paper by two university professors from Montana. And if for any academics who want it, we're happy to share the raw data that we collected. And of course, be sure to check out the show notes on every episode. All those resources, you'll be able to point to them from there. Big thanks to Gary Oppenheimer of AmpleHarvest.org for sharing all that information with us today. You'll notice the show is a little shorter today. I'm trying out the 30-minute style. I'd love to know what you think of it. Do you like these shows at 30 minutes? Is there somebody you'd like me to feature? Would you like to be on the show? All of these concerns can be taken to foodwarriors.net, foodwarriors.org, foodiealchemist.com. All those places point to me. And I'm also hanging out on Twitter at foodiealchemist. 
Of course, my favorite way for you to leave feedback is through iTunes because that helps boost the profile of the show. Only takes a sec and it's so, so appreciated. So food warriors, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here. I'm Jamie Rothbard, the foodie alchemist, and I sure do like to say that food is the force that unites our bodies, our people, and our planet.